Right, what was that? Five foul-mouthed parrots have had to be separated after encouraging each other to swear at a Lincolnshire zoo. Isn't that delightful? The parrots, named Billy, Eric, Tyson, Jade and Elsie, joined Lincolnshire Wildlife Centre's colony of of 200 grey parrots in August, but it did not take them long to ruffle a few feathers with their foul language. (laughs) They're the bad boys of the parrot colony. Yeah, because they're because they're boring. They're they're not like <laughs> normal parrots are like brightly coloured. You look at these parrots. Honestly, they look like pigeons. I'd be <laughs> effing and jeffing at the zoo. People Trying are probably to... like, "Oh, there's parrots." Oh, never mind. And then walking past, and they're like, "Fuck you." <laughs> I'd probably do the same. I like how the title of that article said they had to split up after egging each other on or something. The idea of yeah, parrots the egging each other on. <laughs> The headline is potty mouth parrots split up after egging each other on to swear. We saw it very quickly. We were quite used to the parrots swearing, but we've never had five at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that was the CEO of the Wildlife Park. That is great. Most parrots clam up outside, but for some reason these five relish it. <laughs> the parrots have since been distributed to different areas of the park so they do not set each other off. Oh, is that one of your techniques you do with naughty children, Julia? You certainly separate them. No, I start applauding. <laughs> when they all start swearing, I'm just like, yes. There you is nothing down. funnier. There is absolutely nothing funnier than a child swearing. When we were in lockdown, there was this one girl who is, I shit you not, she is four, five. She's tiny, this little tiny Disney princess looking girl. She runs up, lifts her skirt up, revealing her pants to us, and goes, Miss, Miss, I pissed myself. I (laughs) honestly fell over. I was laughing so hard. I nearly pissed myself. It was the funniest thing I've ever said. And then, so she would get in, she got into quite a habit of pissing herself. And then, so one of the other teachers took it upon himself to, like, try and, you know, teach her that that's not the way that we tell people that we've pissed ourselves. And he was like, oh, you know, maybe don't... That can be... Some people can be quite offended when you say... Um, when you say that word. Can you think of another another way that you could say it? And she goes, I don't know. I done a piss? Which... <laughs> is just great. It's like... The grammar's fucked, but she's right. She's not wrong. That is another way of saying it. That's that's great. Yeah, that's really. Lovely. It honestly, it made my day. Wow. To the point where I would not encourage her to go to the toilet <laughs> because it was so funny. You want to hear those few golden words? Yeah. And this one time, again. she just she like ran. She bolted into the hall. And I was like, oh, God, what's happening there? And then I just heard this bellow from the hall. We were all outside. And then she goes, ah, I've done it again. I've <laughs> And sure enough, I went into the hall and there was this little child stood over <laughs> this little puddle of piss. So, yeah, small children or animals swearing. Oh my god, so funny! It's I need boom. to go to I need to go to Lincolnshire Zoo now. Yeah, clearly. So it says uh, people have come to us. They think it's highly amusing. We haven't had one complaint. <laughs> when a parent tells you to fuck off, it amuses people <laughs> very highly. <laughs> it brought a big smile to a really hard year. Oh my god, there's a video. The park is also home to a parrot, Chico, who made headlines in September after learning to sing a a range of pop songs, including Beyonce's If I Were a Boy. Wow. This is the parrot singing If I Were a Boy. (laughs) How incredible. Isn't that amazing? I I can't close my mouth. That is amazing and the thought of this little parrot just singing his heart out and then him getting heckled by the swearing ones <laughs> yeah maybe that's why they all started it they're all yeah. bullying that one you can't sing for shit <laughs> 
they look the the picture of this chicken uh, this chicken this um <laughs> parrot as well it looks larry as fuck like you would if it were if it were a, a human it'd be a skinhead it looks right. so aggressive like i'll post a picture of it on the instagram because wow. it, it's a sight to behold it really honestly it's it's pulling it's like it's like you fucking what <laughs> do you want to know my parrot story Oh, tell me a parrot story. Well, probably won't have time to this do it. This is now a parrot anyway. podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Bryony. But... Yeah, we're, we're bumping Bryony for the parrot. For the parrots. Two main ones. One had three dogs came in to me once and their owner had found they'd eaten a punnet full of grapes. Didn't know who had eaten the grapes. For those who don't know, public service announcement, grapes and raisins, very poisonous to dogs, so don't feed them to your dogs. Anyway, I had to have all three in over the weekend on fluids, blah, 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 because I didn't know who ate them. They go home, they come back for a recheck. The owner comes in and says to me, well, we found out what happened. The parrot thinks it's hilarious to throw them food and imitated my voice and called each dog in by name <laughs> and chucked them all the grapes. <laughs> so this parrot having a laugh cost her thousands of pounds of veterinary care. Wow. Yeah. I bet that bird knew as well that grapes <laughs> are poisonous for dogs. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say didn't know that, but uh, that if you want to believe that, that. I mean, to be fair, what we've seen from the parrot population today, who knows? Exactly. Five minutes ago, <laughs> did you know that there was a, a parrot that sang Beyonce? I don't think so. So. <laughs> yeah, true. That, they can do anything that they put their mind degree to. is not serving you so well right now, is it? <laughs> Dr. Garvey. Um, so that's the one parrot story which uh, blows my mind still Mm. and I just love the thought of these oh they were such cute dogs three little fluffy things just like coming to the sign of their name and then being thrown grapes by this malevolent parrot and the other parrot story I have is that when I had just started as a vet I had a parrot consult booked for me and uh, a guy came in the room and went oh oh no he doesn't like women so <laughs> and uh, so I didn't do anything on the parrot because he didn't like women and I wanted to respect the parrot's choices do we and, respect misogynistic uh, parrots sorry <laughs> you get who you're given you fucking bigot uh, Julia when it's you versus a parrot and they've got a prejudice against you you fucking try and do it I was happy to let that parrot be you crack on in your misogyny that's fine um, and then he just spent I the rest I of the cons- Oh, I'd I'd fucking pay to see that you cocky bitch. You couldn't take a parrot. You, surely they- you have like you have guns though, right? <laughs> I could take a parrot with all the paraphernalia that you vets have. Yeah, the standard the standard veterinary issue gun that yeah. we all have. You got like a trank gun, haven't you? <laughs> No, surprisingly, we don't in this country. Um, and no. a parrot can bite your thumb off. So oh, Jesus you, you're, Christ. Yeah, you're welcome to have a go if you want. For have you got a, a tennis racket? Sexist parrot. <laughs> I reckon I could take a, a parrot with a tennis racket. All right, next time I get a parrot who doesn't like women vets, I'll uh, call you and you can come Bring and Bring me in and I'll teach that fucking parrot a thing or two. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. He hates women, which is fair. And then he's the is guy... It? Spent... <laughs> you're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> Fucking hell. The guy then spent the rest of the consult showing me videos on his phone of the parrot smoking a fag. (laughs) That is quite impressive. I saw the guy light up and hand it over to the parrot. Were they also watching Top Gear at the same time? (laughs) They might as well have been. Well... After this conversation, parrots have really gone up in my estimations. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Yeah, me too, man. So this episode, we were crazy lucky to speak to, I mean, Bristol's favourite daughter, let's be honest, Bryony Williams, who everybody that I told I was speaking to her was flawed. They were so excited. Yeah. And, I, you know, we were pretty giddy too. Yeah, we were so chuffed to speak to her because she's so lovely and her time on Bake Off, she, oh God, just like what a pure ray of 
yeah. fun and light and calm and positivity. She was just such a... And she is so beloved by the Bristolian people. Absolutely. With good And reason. she didn't disappoint. She really brought oh, it. Oh, no. We must say, though, that we spoke to her what feels like years ago in this never-ending year of 2020. Mm. Was it June? It w- I think so, yeah. It was just after the toppling of the Colston statue in Bristol. So we spoke about that a little bit. Yeah, so we spoke a lot about Bristol stuff, about Colston stuff. Bryony was really honest and generous about how she talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's affected her and really made her analyse the things that she was maybe being complacent with or wasn't even recognising as being... A problem, like a lot of us. So that's a really interesting conversation. Uh, We also spoke about Bake Off in general. So behind the scenes Bake Off gossip, about her time on the show, about Noel Fielding, some goss there for you, and about the choice or Bryony's opinion on the choice of new host after the glorious Sandy Toxvig left, unfortunately. Mm. so yeah anyone who's watching the current series do have a listen because it's very interesting she also told us about a particularly inspiring woman who uh, i didn't know about and i feel uh, a fool for not knowing (laughs) you and the rest of us for sure amazing woman from bristol that we were really happy to know about and we think you will all be very happy to know about as well especially in this year when we all should be worshipping nurses and kissing the ground they walk on. Absolutely. She is a very relevant figure. Yeah. Enjoy. much Bryony for coming on to All About Eve. It's an absolute pleasure thank you for having me. Could you tell people a little bit about yourself if they haven't yeah before? Sure uh, so my name's Bryony Williams um, I was on the 2018 series of the Great British Bake Off managed to get to the semi-finals and had a lot of support from Bristol I, I was very very proud Bristolian on the show a lot of my bakes were related to Bristol <laughs> in some way <laughs> yeah managed to make it to the semi-finals but then crashed and burned quite royally um oh, but had just the best experience the I did though I mean it was awful um I, <laughs> there's no denying it people are like you so should have won I was like no I shouldn't it was awful awful and then and then since then uh, it's been a, an amazing roller coaster ride because before Bake Off I was a stay-at-home mum with Nora who's now four and a half well actually nearly five and um I was a teacher before that I taught French and Spanish at QEH in Bristol for mm. six years and yeah now since then it's all been a bit mad and I present on Food Unwrapped on Channel 4 now do a lot of food writing a lot of recipe development for various publications I did like a year-long thing with Asda which was amazing and do lots of stuff on my social media I like putting recipes out there especially for especially at the minute um in lockdown oh well I know we're sort of you know quite far into lockdown now but people um with kids I think it's so difficult to keep them occupied (laughs) so I like putting out recipes that people can do and and call it home ec you know yeah so I love putting recipes out there that people can get their their kids involved in big fan of all things baked basically and I'm very happy (laughs) to to put it out there but yeah people generally know me as as Brian was it they call me Bristol's Brian from Bake Off my surname now I like to think is from Bake Off but that's fine I'm totally fine with that I'm very proud of being on Bake Off so I'll, I'll take that there are definitely worse things to be associated with, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so growing up, were there any particularly influential women who shaped who you are today? Oh, absolutely. I'm, there's actually, I'm very lucky, there's four generations. There's my grandmother, who's 95, Nana Pat, she's an absolute legend. So she was a home economics teacher, so she um, taught me a lot about baking. Uh, she's also just an incredible woman, she's you know she lived through the war she lived um in northern ireland she grew up in 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 rural northern ireland i mean she's just lived through it all and she's had this incredible life and things like she didn't try a banana she didn't see a banana till she was 22 wow. which i just find so like fascinating um but she's just you know she she lived in a very different time and but she's so 
kind and lovely and just very strong woman and you know she's 95 but she's got all her you know all her marbles are fully in place she's amazing to talk to and she you know I've been talking to her a lot about the war recently and you know because it feels like a lot of the mentality at the minute with everyone with community Mm -hmm. and and, you know coming together through lockdown has felt quite similar Mm -hmm. and I sort of said to her you know how did you how did you cope with the war Nan she's like oh we just got on with it I was like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's typical war, wartime yeah. mentality just get on with it don't know what everyone's worried about for goodness sake which always makes me laugh uh, and so she's amazing and then I've got my mum who is my absolute hero she's my best friend my biggest inspiration she's the loveliest woman you'll ever meet my parents split up when we were when I was eight and she I mean my dad was around don't get me wrong but you know she raised us she had two jobs she worked all the hours God could send to make sure that we had everything that we needed and she's just amazing like everyone who meets her is like she's great I'm like, yeah I know she's amazing and she doesn't look her age either she's total hoy um <laughs> I remember she used to come up to uni when I was in Durham and, and all my male friends were like your mum's well fit I was like guys it's inappropriate stop it and uh yeah she's amazing and then there's me and then Nora so it's really nice because we've got this you know four generations of of women um yeah. and you know Nora's turning out to be this really sort of quite sassy strong-headed little girl which is great some of the time but not when you're trying to parent <laughs> yeah. her and she's just so like Ooh. um but also I don't want her to be a walkover mm. so I'm glad that she's you know got her in got you know she'll say no and she'll have her opinions even if it's quite frustrating at times she's also incredibly kind and for a four-year-old incredibly empathetic and just mm. just very sweet and she's been very good through this lockdown, so I feel very lucky. So, was it a deliberate aim of yours? Obviously, having a daughter, making sure you raised her in a way that you know she needed to be strong-headed in some way. Was that a consideration you had consciously, or do you think it's just from your personality? Obviously, you growing up with these amazing women in your life. Yeah, I do. I think you know I don't consciously parent much. Do you know what I mean? I just kind of get on with it wing it basically that's what I'm trying to say there um and you know I think most of us are in that position I think um you know a lot you know all my my maternal sort of skills come from my mum and my nan because when my mum was working my nan would pick me up from school and sit down and do my homework with me so I've always been very close with her um and I think Nora is just sort of you know she's she's so like me in a lot of ways and then I see a lot of Steve in her as well She's very practical and very logical. My husband's a software engineer. Uh. I don't know if you've met many software engineers, but they are very have a very set way of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's the nicest man in the world. He's absolutely lovely. He has this way of thinking. He's very set sometimes. And I see that in Nora a lot. And she has her way where she's like, no, but it's got to be this way. I'm like, Steve, can you see this? <laughs> this, this is you. Um, and someone said to me once, and I just think it's absolutely brilliant, is the hardest thing about parenting is parenting the you out of your child. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. So true. I see things in Nora sometimes. I'm like, oh! <laughs> Steve's like, this, that's you. But she's so talkative. She doesn't shut up. I mean, nice. Where sh- where'd she get that from? <laughs> you said in your introduction that, you know, when you were on the show, you got a lot of support from Bristol and that's, absolutely true I think everyone was very proud of you and I think you were really a fan favorite and I you know I when when I think back to your time on the show the thing that stands out to me is that you were always really calm and really good at sort of facing (laughs) adversity and going right okay how can I deal with this which is always very practical and pragmatic I felt and kind of like Julius are very positive do you think that's something that you've had to work on or is that something that just comes quite naturally to you I think it comes quite natural. I'm a very positive person. Mm. I hate, you know, negativity and I try and avoid it at all costs because I don't think it does anyone any good. My approach, my outlook on life is is very positive. In terms of just getting on with stuff, because growing up, my um, with my hand, my mum, so I was born with no fingers on my left hand, and my mum would always say to me, if you can't figure out, if you can't do it, just figure out a way around it. Just get on with it. You know, we're not going to, you know, wrap you up mm. in, in bubble wrap and cotton wool and and you know protect you you've just got to get on with it so my mindset from a very young age was well let's just figure out how to do it you know it's not a problem so that's always been how I've kind of tackled things and I've you know I don't let anything stop me be it my hand or whatever um so so yeah so that's kind of the approach I had when I was in the tent I was like well 
just got to get on with it. Like, I have to bake something. (laughs) (laughs) Like, even when things are going so wrong, you think, I have to present something at the end of this. Like, when it was all going so wrong in the semi-finals, I literally, I had empty eclairs. There was no filling. They were flat. They were awful. They were undercooked. And they had more, double double the salt in them because I've messed up salt and sugar. My my tarts were melting. They looked awful. And um, what was the other one? Oh, yeah. And my uh, pastry was completely raw for the meal foy. And I was like this is all going so wrong but I need to present something at the end of it so you know just get on with it and just do what you can and I don't know that's just always the way I've approached things I suppose it's just just get on with it <laughs> like your nan just get on with it yeah like my nan with it get on with it get on with it and and I laugh a lot as well I laugh at myself I laugh at things you know I, I like to have fun even when I was like in labour with Nora I remember we laughed a lot mainly after I had the epidural <laughs> like <laughs> But like with the, the nurses were like, oh my God, you laughed that little girl out. I was like, oh, that's I've nice. never yeah. heard that so in my life. Me neither. Yeah, but again, epidural, epidural. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That's the only reason I could laugh. Um, before that, there was very little laughter. But um, yeah, so it was, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, we just, you know, I don't take life too seriously. Nice. The other thing is, of course, now that your career has expanded into all these different lovely arenas, like you alluded to at the beginning, mm. we're interested being outsiders to this do you find that there is a gender disparity in this new stage of your career obviously bake-off in general there's always been a good mix of male and female contestants but is Mm. there anything we're not really aware of about how these things can manifest sometimes I mean I'm still very new to it all so I don't think that and also my main focus has been the disability side of things and that kind of representation which I think has taken my focus away from the gender side of things Mm -hmm. You know, it was like when they hired Matt Lucas for the new as a new presenter on Bake Off. It's like, why haven't they hired mm. another woman? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, this is another white man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no, there's no balance there. They've gone from like two female presenters to male and female to two right male. And it's like we're going backwards. Like, what are you doing? Like, I like Matt Lucas. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but. I was talking I was talking to the scummy mummies about it. I don't know if you follow them, but if you don't, you should, because yeah. they are brilliant and very funny. And I was talking to them about it, and they were like, there are hundreds of amazing female comedians who would have filled that role perfectly, and they still went with a white man. And I just think, like, it's just, like, come on, like, this is, you know, the Spake Off is Channel 4, like... But it's, you know, it it took them nine series to get a disabled Mm. baker on. I wonder whether the controversy with Little Britain and that being taken off streaming platforms, I wonder whether that will have an effect on his hiring or whether his hiring will be in question now. I mm, I don't know because they've, but they've recommissioned Little Britain. Have they? They've commissioned a new series. Yeah. So it's like they've taken off the old one and now they're giving them the platform oh to make my a new god one. as it's if they're the like... people who need the platform who need that charm yeah i know two mid middle who've already yeah, fucking done the it they've already done it like let somebody else who ha- oh my god this I is know. they've already done it and they've just been criticized yeah. the way that they did it. <laughs> we saw what they had to offer like we've seen it for oh, 10 isn't years isn't that just yeah. proof Bring back Smack the Pony. Oh, yes, please. Like, isn't that just proof that... Recommission Smack the Pony. If you're a man, if you're a white man in the entertainment industry, you get as many do-overs as you like. Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? I know. I find it baffling. But, I mean, I have to, you know, I love Bake Off and I love, love productions and I really appreciate Channel 4 and I think Channel 4 are doing a lot for underrepresented yeah. people like disabilities yeah. you know they they are they are making it more mainstream just to have a disabled presenter or just to have you know female presenters so i did feel it was a little bit like oh come on channel you 4 you're better. so good yeah. at this like yeah a bit short-sighted but i mean a little bit but i think you know it's it's just one of those things mm. isn't it you know and, and i think channel 4 compared to other channels are doing a hell of a lot more mm. than yeah. you know but then- than other you like you look you know, you look at... I can't remember, something came up the other day. Oh, like the Big Night In or whatever they did for Comic Relief. Sports Relief and something else. Comic Relief and Sports Relief and Children in Need joined together. <laughs> and you looked at the panel of people and you're like... It's literally just like all white people and all fully abled white mm. people, mainly men. And you're like, why? So yes, actually, going back to your original question, yes, I do. <laughs> 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 it's one of those things sometimes I don't think about. 
about it and then I'm like, actually, yeah, yeah. I've got a minute. That's really funny. But maybe that's um, why yeah. we're, you're more miffed about it from Channel 4 because it's like, come on, guys, you know, like, you're doing better than others. Like, keep pushing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I met the CEO of Channel 4 who's this incredibly fierce woman who's, um, oh my gosh, she's awesome. Mm. You know, when she gets up on stage, you're like, oh, go on. <laughs> like she's an amazing representation i think she's she's done a lot of incredible things for channel four so i think it's just a case of like come mm-hmm. on yeah let's just keep going forward rather than yeah no that's a really good point though uh actually i'd completely forgotten that he was the new host when i asked you the question yeah so yeah that is uh... i mean I, I put my name in the hat there but uh, <gasps> you that would have been amazing, amazing. No, I mean, I would have loved it, but obviously I just, I wasn't, I'm not a big enough name. Yeah, but you and Noel it's, had it's such a, nice a chemistry big as well. job. Oh, I love Noel. He's such a nice he's, man. He's genuinely a nice he's man. He's the sweetest yeah. guy. Good. okay. He's such a nice man, honestly, like, so, such a genuine, kind man, a real gentleman. Like, you wouldn't expect that of him, but when he, when he met my nan at the final, he went over to speak to her and she was in, she was sat down, she's, you know, nine to five, she can't stand up for long. And um, he sat down next to her for about 10 minutes, just chatting to her. Aww. And then when I went back to the Christmas bake-off, um, which, which I won, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally in. redeemed yourself. Um, totally, yeah. Yes. Uh, he he recognised her and went over and chatted Aww. to her again, was holding her hand. And I was like, oh, he's just the nicest man, honestly. Good. Like, I think a lot of people see him as this really goofy guy, which he is. He's like the naughty kid in class. But oh my gosh, what a genuinely kind soul as well. What a nice oh, guy. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't really understand the crush on him before because like my best friend's obsessed with him. Oh no way. Just amazing. Yeah. Um, when I got on, she was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> and her first question was, "What does he smell like?" So, okay. It's a bit weird. Um, and uh, and now I get it though because he is. He's he's awesome, yeah. and he. If anyone's interested, he smells a little bit like um, kind of like a what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say thrift shop, but that's really American. A vintage mm. shop, like a vintagey kind of musty of smell, does. but in a nice way, not in a. Hmm. He does he look does. like he would have a smell. Yeah, he's he's lovely. He's also uh, drinks a lot of diet coke, and I am definitely addicted to diet coke. So okay, that's how you guys get through long days of filming in the tent. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. 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 How long? How many? How long's the day that you spent? Oh gosh, very long. You start at uh, about seven a.m. and sometimes earlier, sometimes half six, and then you finish at about nine p.m. No, half what? nine. Oh wow, it's a pretty solid day. Yeah. Bloody hell! Um, how did you manage to do anything? Your brains must have all been scrambled. You must have been knackered. Th- they look after you so well. They literally have a. Uh, one person who's solely employed to look after the bakers so that's their job is to make sure that we're okay and an amazing woman called ellen who just is one of my favorite human beings on this planet and just oozes kindness and goodness and and fun and uh, literally as soon as i'd walk out of the tent she'd appear with a cold diet coke (laughs) and like you know she knew what we all liked and like she knew how we liked our cup of tea and and she'd she'd appear halfway through a challenge with a glass of water and just go drink this (laughs) you'd be like okay um, just because she knew, like, I hadn't drunk anything or, yeah. you know, hadn't eaten anything and just to make sure that we're hydrated yeah. and, and looked after. And, yeah, she's she's awesome. Is so there, they do look after you very well. Is there no air conditioning in the tent? Because it always seems like they set these challenges that if you were baking at home in, like, a stone building, it would be absolutely, yeah. like, temperature controlled, you'd be fine. And then they're surprised mm. when everybody's bakes are, like, sliding off the plate. <laughs> I know. But I mean, where's the fun in that? Yeah, oh no, it's very entertaining to watch. But it does make you feel for the people baking. (laughs) Yeah, apparently it's because of the noise, but I think it's because it's really funny when things melt. (laughs) It is. It is really funny. Um, Come on, I mean, can you imagine how boring it would be if every bake turned out really well? I'd be like, "Mm." yeah, true. Yeah, that is very good. Do you know what I mean? And this is coming from someone who messed up a lot of things. (laughs) And you're still up for it, yeah. It must make the judging slightly easier as well. Yeah, I mean, they're really good. Like, if if it's particularly hot, hot day they'll you know put your bakes in the fridge straight away oh that's good so you know they they don't want you to fail (laughs) at all you know they want you to do well but um sometimes it's like 34 degrees in that tent so that's ridiculous yeah and that's the day they choose to do tempered chocolate or something like that yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it's like like, yeah i'd like to see you do that See, this is why you need to be the presenter. This we need. He needs yeah. someone saying this shit to him. You know, I know. he's a free I run. Know. It's so funny going back in um, for the Christmas one. 
was so funny because I, I didn't feel like I had anything to prove. I just went because I love I loved Bake Off and I loved being in that mm. tent. So I just had the best time ever. And it was funny, like, not being as scared of Paul because <laughs> you were like, oh, hey, hey you're not as scary now. It's, it's not as... I'm not taking it as seriously as I did the main one. So. And I think that's why I did well because I was just like, ah, let's just have a laugh. Yeah, that's great. You went to Colston Girls School, which I did. Is now there's a lot of debate <laughs> around yes, uh, whether controversial. to keep or drop the name. Yeah, where do you stand on this uh, side of the debate? So yeah, so I went to Colston's Girls School. My mum went to Colston's Girls School as well. <clears throat> we were both head girl. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. And I loved school. I had a, such a happy time at school. And I think I didn't really, I put a post up about this on Instagram the other day. And I think that's something I didn't put across, which I should have, is that while I was there, I was very happy. Mm. Um, and the school itself was a lovely school. But we didn't get taught that much about Colston, mm. about Edward Colston and about his history and where his money came from. We were mainly taught to be grateful for the fact that we were in this school that he founded <laughs> with his money. Um <laughs> And, you know, every November we'd go to commemoration, we'd all wear bronze chrysanthemums, which was his favourite flower. And then we'd go and, you know, go and go to commemoration and it would all be about how great Edward Colston was, all this good, you know, all about his philanthropic, I can't say that word, um, work. And then, you know, you'd go and put these gold chrysanthemums onto his statue in the centre. And and, and now I look back, I'm like, that's that's insane. It's a bit culty. How could we have been... At no point it was mentioned. Yeah, they talked about his history, but you'd basically you'd be kind of a twelve-year-old being taught about the fact that he was he took part in the slave trade. But as a twelve-year-old, especially bearing in mind this is what twenty-three years ago, as a twelve-year-old, you don't fully understand what the slave trade was, what you know what that meant for for the people who were enslaved. Well, certainly not and, if you're not taught you know, it properly. Like I think we can all agree when we're not taught it properly in Bristol or in the UK. Exactly. Full stop. But yeah, you, they, they, it's not taught in a responsible way. So yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt there. Yeah, yeah, and you do, and you take what your teacher says, you know, as as gospel because they're your teacher and that's what they're teaching you. You know, we we learn all about the Second World War. I mean, I could have, you know. I learned so much about the Second World War, but we just didn't go into Edward Colston's history as much. I do know now that that's changed at the school and that they don't, that it's changed. That I think they don't do the commemoration in the same way anymore. They actually took down, after they pulled down the statue in the centre, they've taken down the statue of Edward Colston in the hallway of Colston's Girls' School, which is good. And they've actually sent out, because I've been in touch with some of the current pupils, and they've sent out uh, a survey to all their current pupils asking them if they want to change the name of the school. I'd imagine that's going to come back primarily yes. Mm. And this girl that I've been chatting to, she started up a, a petition saying that she wants to have the name change to Campbell's Girls' School, which is where Princess Campbell comes in later. So that's one of the, you know, they want the school to be named after someone more deserving and yes okay Edward Colston founded that school and I you know I'm grateful that the school was there but you cannot ignore the fact that that money came from Mm. came off the backs of you know 100,000 African men women and children 20,000 of which died en route to England and I think it was the poetic justice of him being pulled down and thrown into the harbour where he would have brought Mm. these enslaved people back um is is i think it's rather magical actually mm, yeah yeah so you know and i think you know the colston hall has taken down its its sign because they they've been working on changing their name for a while colston tower have taken down their mm. sign um and i've started a, peti- a petition to change the the street names colston street colston avenue because it's all well and good taking down colston hall but it's still on colston i think it's on colston yeah. street so you know and i know but i know that the the mayor and Bristol City Council have started a, have commissioned a review of all the place names and street names in Bristol that are related to slavery. Mm. So I'm hoping that'll come back. Mm. I've got, a, you know, over a thousand signatures on this petition and I know there's another one going around that has got like two and a half thousand signatures. So I think, you know, now's the time yeah. mm. with, you know, with this, this current surge in the Black Lives Matter movement, now's the time to to actually make some changes mm. and and just become much more aware and much more conscious of of our history you know people are like oh you shouldn't take down the edward colston statue it's history 
yeah, it is history, but let's put it in a museum mm. where people can learn exactly about this history and what what he did to get to where he was. Black people shouldn't have to walk through the centre of Bristol and see that man on a statue and think, mm. hmm, why are we celebrating this man, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, and I've I've honestly never thought about it as much as I have in the last few weeks. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of reflecting, a lot of, you know, learning... And and I think everyone should be doing that at the minute. So. Yeah, it's interesting because you said you know we you can't ignore what he did in terms of you know apart from his philanthropy or what have you. But of course, I think that which is a privilege, which to is do a privilege anyway, the... and is is buying social status at that time. So it's not like he was philanthropic as a oh I just off my own back I'm gonna give away this money he was trying to erase that his was, record he literally mm. bought the town yeah but I think because his name is on everything I think what's interesting is of course yeah. we the point is it has been ignored for the when was it 1895 the 125 years it's been up and you, you know my school did choose to not teach me properly about Edward Colston and your school did as well and you know obviously we've had this thing going back and forth with the statue for a few years and the renaming the Colston Hall one of the things I think we should also take from this is why did it have to get to this point for us to all do something about it and obviously mm. I'm not the first person to express that and I only have the amount of frustration I guess that I have as a white person I think if you're a black person in this situation that must be absolutely agonizing or heartbreaking that why did it take these events of the last few weeks in order for you to actually move your ass and change the name of Colson Hall and take down his statue so I think it's obviously it was great when the statue came down and I think we did quite a lot of self-celebrating at that point you know like yes Bristol was trending and things but it does but the underlying issue is yeah but why was it still bloody up why hadn't it you know yeah, yeah. I know after all the, you know, countless petitions and, you know, different changes in the, in the sign that was on it. And, you know, it's yeah. like, well, Bank, Banksy actually had a really good idea, as Banksy has many good ideas, let's be honest. All hell Banksy. He had an idea of um, putting up, putting the statue back up, but uh, adding a statue of bronze protesters with ropes, kind of pulling it down. And I was like, mm. it's like, I really like that idea because it was like, you know, uh, progress of, you know, the evolution of that statue. And, you know, that's all part of history now. That'll be taught in the history books that yeah. well, I hope anyway, that they yeah. pulled the statue down. But I think it is going to go up in a museum along with the, the Black Lives Matters posters and everything that people had, had put around mm. it, around the plinth. Also, one of my favourite things was watching on the news, these three guys trying to pull it out of the, the harbour with a uh, metal pole. <laughs> because um, they were so outraged that people had put it in the harbour <laughs> it's like watching these guys with this big metal pole trying to get it out of the harbour you're like oh dear <laughs> oh, they didn't look prepared for the job weren't they like they were like shirtless shoeless looks like they just did it on a jolly kind of thing like probably had a can of natch and thought it was a really good idea oh my yeah. god they're probably just pushing it further into the river <laughs> yeah oh it's so stupid they looked absolutely ridiculous which made me really happy (laughs) yeah i've just realized my little stash of chocolate biscuits behind me is visible (laughs) i i did clock it i was like oh chocolate nips okay (laughs) chocolate nips getting me through the day yes (laughs) so you like banksy's idea for the statue that's that's yeah i thought that was quite good i thought that was i did hear someone say what about if people then pull down that statue and then the next time it goes up you have to have more bronze figures behind (laughs) pulling it down and then it just becomes this like train of yeah just a whole the whole of the center is just taken up with bronze (laughs) people thing is no whatever yeah yeah, whatever you do with it no one's not everyone's going to be happy i think you've just got to sort of really take into account as much as you can and and do the the best thing possible um and i think putting it in a in a museum people are like oh if you take down all the statues we're gonna erase history yeah because no one remembers hitler do they no No. who do you know what i mean like well oh shut up like it just really winds me up and i just find it really frustrating Mm -hmm. and i'm not normally one to be kind of to respond to this like i'm not a very argumentative person but this has really got to me and I just find it really frustrating that people can be that narrow-minded. Yeah. And, you know, and I've like, I've lost so many followers on social media really? just from posting anti-racist posts. Yeah. So I've lost, I lost hundreds and hundreds of followers on Instagram and hundreds of followers on Twitter 
since I started putting up posts about the fact that I was anti-racist and actively trying to be more anti-racist. And all these people started unfollowing me. I was like, okay, <laughs> bye. Wow. Um, I know, it's mad. And um, this one guy was like, I liked it when you posted about baking, but I don't want to hear about your politics. It's like, oh, <laughs> or, I don't want to hear about your political views. I was like, oh, I'll go back in the kitchen, shall I? <gasps> wow. I know. Put on my apron and go bake something. How dare I have an opinion? <laughs> really funny people are just so mad i did see one person comment under your post well how come you were happy to be head girl then it's like well is yeah is that really the issue you were 16 oh yeah i wrote back i was like i also like can i just reply saying i didn't at any point say i didn't enjoy being at school i'm not attacking the school i'm just saying that i wasn't taught that at the time and that was 20 something years ago yeah but yeah people just like to have a go at you i think and i've Wait. been very lucky very i very rarely have people have a go at me but since i started posting about the black lives matter movement the surge in, in in the current movement and you know posting against you know the changes that they're making for for, for trans people's rights um and people just really get funny about it oh you've got an opinion and i don't like it so i'm gonna unfollow you okay oh. bye <laughs> Well, now you're free of a few hundred racists, so that's nice. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, okay, so you're, so you're uh, racist. Just, you know, show yourself out. You don't need to tell me that you're unfollowing me. It's fine, just go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But it's funny, someone, you know, I posted this on on, on Twitter and Instagram. People are like, well, sometimes the trash just take them, takes itself out. I'm like, it's true tell. It's true tell. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> Who knew baking attracted so many racists? <laughs> Um, I was just going to say, I guess it's, I don't want to speak for you, Bryony, but um, having similar instances, it is that reality check of, oh, I could choose as a white person to go through my life never posting about this stuff on social media and it will never come to my door. And obviously it's yeah. just that reality, isn't it, that well, a trans person is always going to have this stuff at their door and a black woman, especially black people, are always going to have this kind of hatred when they just try to live their lives. Yeah, Absolutely. It's the white, it's the idea of white privilege. And that's something I've really sort of been trying to accept recently. Because I've always, I've never really sort of got the whole white privilege. I always think, well, white privilege is like, you know, someone like Trump, who's really rich and very white. And, you know, is a bit racist. Well, a lot, he's a lot racist. But like, I've never sort of associated white privilege with myself. But that's something that I've had to really break down mm -hmm. and say, well, actually, I am white, therefore I am privileged. It has absolutely nothing to do with any other hardships that you have in your life. You know, I'm disabled. That doesn't make me any any less white privileged. That's, I think, something that people really kind of confuse. They're like, well, I'm not well off. I'm not wealthy. No, 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 but you have white skin. Yeah. So like you said, Anna, you have that, you, have that um, you know, advantage, that privilege of being able to live in your little bubble and not worry about anything. And it never comes, never comes knocking. You never have to experience it. But actually what, what we need to be doing is bursting that bubble and saying, no, I'm not going to ignore it. You know, that my brother-in-law would post stuff on Facebook that was quite racist and I just ignore it. Mm. Whereas the other day I was like, no, I'm not ignoring it anymore. So I actually replied to him saying, what you're posting is, is racist have you actually thought about what you're doing? Blah, 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 blah. And then I unfollowed him. And that's, you know, that's family. But I'm not going to... Yeah. I'm not going to sit by and, and, and do that anymore because it's not fair. And it's, mm. you know, it's a bit of a cowardly way out is what I'm realising, mm. you know. So I will stand up and I will speak and I will be an ally because I want to be and I want there to be changes. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're doing your bit to make those changes happen. I'm trying. And even yeah, and even with Nora, you know, I've never spoken about race with Nora before because I've always had that that idea of well, I don't see color. I don't see race. I treat everyone the same, mm. which is all in my head. That's the that was the best way to be, but again, doing lots of reading, learning is actually that's again white privilege that you can say, but I don't see race. That's because it doesn't affect me. If I saw race, I'd see racism. So, you know, things like Nora and I have, have had little chats about race and, you know, I bought her a baby doll that's black because I looked at all of her toys and they're all white. <laughs> um, you know, we started buying books with people of colour protagonists because all of her books contain white protagonists. Yeah. And again, this is something that, you know, mm. I've not been doing that on purpose. <laughs> you know, I've not actively been going out and buying loads of books with white protagonists. But again, it's because I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't... Yeah aware of it i was i hadn't opened my eyes to it so you know and, and i bought and her... because that's how society is set up because it's yeah it's exactly. predominantly white yeah 
And again, I'm in my little white privilege bubble. I'm in my little bubble and I, and I don't see it, so it's okay. And like things like skin colour, you know, I've, Nora calls skin colour the colour that's her skin colour. So I bought her a little pack of, of uh, felt tips with all the different skin colours that Crayola are doing mm. now. And we got them out and I was like, well, whose skin colour is this? And we associate very much with Disney princesses because she's four. So I was like, and whose skin colour is this? She was like, that's Tiana. And whose skin colour? That's Pocahontas. So, you know, and actually saying, rather than saying, this is a skin colour, say, no, well, this is Ariel's yeah. skin colour or this is Tiana's skin colour. This is, you know, and actually making her understand that there's different different skin colours and, you know, just making her a little bit more aware of it. And I'm so glad that I'm doing that and I'm so you know, grateful to the recent surge in movement that it's actually really shaken me up in terms of how I've been living my little privileged life. And I really want Nora to grow up not just being not racist. I want her to grow up being anti-racist. And I want her, if she sees something, to say, no, that's not okay. You know, and I asked her, I said, do you know that people are mean to other people because of the colour of their skin? And she said, no. I said, yeah, and what would you do if you saw someone being mean to Tiana because she, she had black skin? What would you do? She said, I'd tell them to go away. I was like, yes, that's it. That's my girl. I sounded very Bristolian <laughs> when I said that. Um, <laughs> that's how I want her to grow up. So, you know, if I want that to happen, I need to make some changes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You've summed it up is that the point is, as white people, we need to be making changes. Other mm, people don't need yeah. to do anything. It's, it's on us. And, and I think... Yeah, it's on us, and it, yeah. You know, we all, I think as white people, we all grow up and we don't see that the world is catered for us and we don't see all these things. And then when you actually have that realisation, which is a shame we have to even have that, whereas black people and people of colour just have that from birth, we kind of go, oh, shit, the whole world. Mm. We, like, we are in a white supremacist society and, fuck, I need to do something about it. And I think, you know, I hope more and more people will have the same realisation that we've all had to go through. But obviously there are some people for whom that is seems to be very difficult anyway yeah it's because it's really uncomfortable yeah. it's not a nice thing to have to put yourself through but then neither's racism yeah. so you know in you know in comparison actually it's it's really not that hard but it is uncomfortable to you know hold up that mirror to your folks and say like shit i've actually without realizing i have been making comments that i shouldn't be making or you know thinking things i shouldn't think and, and not fully understanding the situation so you know, but I would just really strongly encourage people to do it because it's quite it's quite amazing when you start digging what you can see and what you can discover about yourself and what how you can help other people. Like a lot of people have been been keeping quite quiet about the Black Lives Matter movement on social media. People with really big profiles, and you think, why are you keeping quiet? What are you scared mm. about? And I think it's because they are scared that people will unfollow them. Yeah. <laughs> and people will criticise them. It's like, yeah, it's really scary. But, you know, like I, I posted up, I posted on my social media the conversation of me and Nora having about race and the Disney princesses. And I was absolutely shitting myself about it, to be honest with you, because that is the most vulnerable I've ever been on social media. But do you know what? The, the positive comments that I got back from white people, from black people, from people of colour just saying thank you for exposing yourself and putting this out there and making yourself vulnerable because hopefully that then will encourage other people to do it. And that's why I think, you know, if you've got a big platform, use it. Look at Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Ledge. Oh, my God. What a guy. What a guy. You know, and it just shows that if you've got a platform, you can make change. Positive change. And you almost have a responsibility to use it. Yeah, you do. Like, I've been very blessed and very lucky that I've got this platform you know, I wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for Bake Off and everything that followed. So, you know, I think I should I should use it and, and should use it to, to hopefully help other people understand and or just, you know, people will unfollow me. <laughs> well, yeah. so. so either way. I mean, yeah, it could go either yeah. way, but that's fine. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier on about Colston's Girls' School possibly changing their name. And one of the options current pupils have come up with is Campbell's Girls' School. So it still keep the CGS. And they want to, that's named after um, a lady called Princess Campbell. 
So she came to Bristol in 1962 from Jamaica. She was part of the Windrush generation. So she arrived in Bristol as a teenager um, and started looking for, for work. At the time, this was an incredibly difficult thing for black people to find any kind of decent work. The work that they were offered was pretty, A, awful working environments and B, awful pay. Um, but she went to the Wills factory, the tobacco factory, and they never employed a black person before. So she went for this job thinking that she probably wouldn't get it. And it's quite famous that in her interview, she was asked, why did you leave your country to come here? And she answered that when she was in Jamaica as a girl, she'd heard she'd heard the pleas on the radio to come, come to England because the mother country needs you. Um, so this is the things that they were putting out on the radio in Jamaica to get people to come over. But she actually got the job. So she was the first per- first black person to work at the Wills factory. That's not what she wanted to do. She wanted to become a nurse. When she came over, when she was looking for accommodation, it's quite famous, I think, that these signs would be up around, uh, not just in Bristol, but all around, saying no blacks, no dogs, no Irish for accommodation, which is just horrible and shocking. Yeah. And yeah, the kind of jobs that black people were offered were putting tops on pens and cleaning hospitals. So they really weren't, you know particularly skilled jobs so nurse is like a very lofty very lofty aspiration yeah very so she uh trained as a nurse and went to work in glenside hospital in fish ponds she sort of when she talks about her time there the the black nurses were very much given the very demeaning jobs of you know cleaning up vomit and bedpans whereas the white nurses were given the you know nicer jobs i suppose that you would get as a nurse they would also be made to work evenings and weekends the, the black members of staff so they'd get very little time with their families so basically the jobs they were given were horrible and they were made to work really um what's the word shitty hours shitty unsociable. hours unsociable that's the word i was looking for but yeah <laughs> shitty hours is what absolutely that's bang on thank you um but they very much because all of the their bosses were all the ward sisters were white and the black nurses were basically told to put up and shut up they just, just had to deal with it they didn't have any power or any you know, responsibility. Mm. Uh, but she really wanted to become a, a ward sister. But a lot of the black nurses, they couldn't cope with the treatment that they were that they were getting, and they'd you know they'd leave. But she kept going. It's not unsurprising that they'd yeah. leave. When you think about what they would have had to go through. So yeah. she actually did further nursing training in psychiatry. Then she went for the job after she'd completed her training. She went for a job as a ward sister. There were two people that got shortlisted for the job it was her and then there was a white nurse much younger less experienced and not as qualified and this white nurse got the job do you know what year this was yeah shocker yeah this would have been so she arrived in 1962 as a teenager so i'd say sort of mid-70s So this white nurse hadn't even been registered with the general nursing council she still got the job as a sister bloody hell yeah I know, it's horrific, isn't it? So uh, she went to the matron and other nurses complained that she didn't get the job as well, saying that she should have done. The matron actually apologised, saying that she should have... It was an inappropriate appointment and that she should have got the job. And then after two years, she got a job as... Now, this is something I found out. So it's strongly believed that she was the first ever black ward sister in Bristol. But having done a little bit of research, apparently there was a lady called May Tanner, who was ward sister at the BRI eight years before. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know what the exact thing, but she was definitely one of the first, yeah. if not the first, black ward sisters in, yeah. in, in Bristol. She worked as a nurse until she retired in the 1990s. She pushed for what was rightly, rightly hers. And then she went on to do more amazing things. So there was um, loads of problems with housing uh, for people that came from the Caribbean. And you'd get, you know, one room, you'd have sort of six or seven people living in one room because people wouldn't wouldn't rent to um, black people or they couldn't afford it, which is why a lot of a lot of them settled in St. Paul's and Easton. That's where the landlords would rent to them, um, which is why, you know, you look at Easton and St. Paul's, uh, it is quite a largely black population. 
in both of those so you can see why mm-hmm. uh, but apparently St Paul's at that time it was it was it isn't says in the the one of the articles I was reading that it was almost slum like in the in the sort of 70s right. so obviously living in horrific conditions so she came, became involved in setting up the United Housing yeah. Association because of that they um, built affordable houses at affordable prices in and around St Paul's they also built a nursing home a multicultural sheltered housing home Mary C. Cogcourt. Oh, our old friend. <laughs> named after the pioneering Jamaican nurse who went to care for British troops during the Crimean War. She also was involved in the West Indian Parents and Friends Association, uh, which helped to give advice about benefits and hospital care and form filling. She's a well-known activist. This is cool, I didn't know this. So she's a well-known activist and was a member of the Bristol's Older People's Forum. Okay. Yeah, they fight for well-being and quality of life for older people. And the forum achieved free bus passes nationwide for the over sixties. Yeah, no way. Wow. I know. So wow. I always thought, I just thought, oh, people just you hit sixty, you get a free bus pass. That's how it works. But it's not always been like that. And she was part of. She was one of the people who who was part of that that change, which I think is really That's, cool. Do you know what year that was? Is that yeah. like when did that come into effect? That I don't. I don't know when that was probably wasn't even that long ago i reckon it was probably the 90s yeah maybe yeah wow i know she's what a woman and she received the one person can make a difference award in 2006 the international women's day award in 2007 she went to downing street in 2007 and she was also made an mbe Mm. and unfortunately she passed away in september 2015 but there's this amazing, um, her message, which is, for me, just absolutely speaks volumes. And I can imagine it like when, like some sort of, you know, slightly cheesy influencer trying to use it on their on their post. But actually, when you look at it, it's got a really sort of powerful meaning, especially when you see where she's come from. So her message is, use determination and your self-esteem, value yourself and let no one crush you. When you come up against challenges and adversity, don't run away. Stay and fight if you want to change things. Education is the most powerful is the most powerful tool and it opens doors. And I think that's, you know, it's it's more relevant than ever, especially the stay and fight if you want to change things. And the importance of education, that's the key to everything, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, she she really was a pioneer, um, you know, an incredible activist. She she changed the paths for a lot of women after her. Well, still today people are you know, anyone who's over 60 and has got a free bus pass, you know, she's one of the, the people to thank for that. Yeah. It would be amazing to find a nurse who'd worked with her. I'm sure, like, there are people yeah, oh, Bristol yeah. who've still who've worked with her. Yeah. So, you know, she's she's an amazing woman. And I, I had absolutely yeah. no idea about her. I didn't know who she was. And I only find... Uh, the only reason that I discovered her was because one of these current pupils at Colston's Girls School said that they wanted... She's one of the people they wanted to name the school after. I, yeah, I don't know what better role model you'd want for a girl. School. Exactly, for a young woman. Yeah, exactly. I mean, worked incredibly yeah. hard, served the NHS for thirty something years, just and then in her retirement went on to to try and make lives better for for other people. It's so promising that people at school know about yeah. her. I know that's really cool that they they yeah. That's amazing that they're more clued up on. They're schooling me. That's what they're doing. People like yeah. Her. Think how much yeah. easier like the board of directors' lives would be when they don't have to hide this this absolute arsehole who was the name of that. I school. know they can just be like, we've got a great name for us. Yeah, school. it's Campbell. Yeah, Girls guess who our school's named after? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she was called Princess. How cool is yeah. that? She's called Princess. Yeah. When she went to work at Will's uh, factory, people like thought there was an actual princess coming to work there. <laughs> they thought, so they'd all kind of come over to talk to her. She's like, this is my name. I'm not actually a princess. <laughs> but I thought that was quite cool. <laughs> and I love her quote as well. I think that's... Yeah. yeah. And clearly she lived that as well because she has fought for loads of different groups of people as well by the science of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, she sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Bryony. It's my pleasure. Thank you for pushing me to find out more. She sounds like a very promising candidate for the plinth. Yeah, I know, right? Somebody you'd be proud to walk past every day. Especially at a time like this. Who else do we want on a plinth but a nurse? Mm. Yeah, oh, I know. There, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so many different levels to, <laughs> to this. Yeah. So the campaigns that you've got, we'll, we'll post about them. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Because I think the more sort of widely talked about they are, the better. Yeah. And I'm kind of keeping tabs on Bristol City Council as to when 
they're doing this review and who's part of the review and what they're actually going to talk about. They're very reluctant to say it, but I'll keep yeah. poking them until they tell me. Mm. Yeah, that's good to know that you're on the case. I, I won't go away. You think this is an opportunity for them to be the front runners, right? Exactly, in the country yeah. of, of being like, this is the way that we're going to now yeah, tackle things. exactly. Maybe it's it's such a sensitive thing that they yeah. just want to make sure that they're attacking it properly. I think so. But And also I think if they do a review and then do it, then people can't come at them and say you know well we shouldn't change the street names because of this this and this actually if they say well we've done this review and we've looked into the history and it would be amazing if they do just do a sweep of everything like you say where they're looking at all the place names and if everything gets changed that would that would be great that would be good and also it makes you realize that you can do it like overnight like the whole bullshit of this oh there's so much red tape you have to go through clearly not clearly if you just want to change it just change it. it Not being funny, but if you're, you know, part of the council or, you know, the whatever they are in America, you can just do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think mm. one, one of the concerns that would come out of that is I was looking up some of the um, facts about Bristol in this regard. And obviously it's great that we're changing the statues, we're changing the names, blah, blah, blah. blah. But then I, I was really shocked. There are, Bristol's actually terrible in terms of inequality. In terms of, they, you know, the Runnymede reported a review of inequality in England and Wales. And out of 348 districts in England and Wales, Bristol's worst is the bottom seventh. And really? Yeah. There's some crazy um, statistics about it. Like, um, for black people specifically, Bristol has the third highest level of uh, educational inequality in England and Wales. Jesus. Yeah. That's scary. It's really scary. And again, I think, like we i i I grew up thinking oh we're fine here we're fine you know which obviously this whole thing is indicative of isn't it well i think one of the problems they pointed out so the runnymede report looked at all of this and then tried to suggest some solutions to it apparently only 4.4 percent of teachers in bristol are from black asian or ethnic minorities and the national average is 7.5 do you know what i was thinking and they think that's one of the reasons i was thinking the other day and when i worked at qbh there wasn't a single black teacher at my school now, there isn't a single black teacher. I was thinking about it the other day. I was literally sat there going through all the staff when I was there. I was like, there wasn't there wasn't a single ethnic minority whatsoever. Really? Yeah. Which is scary. Scary. Really scary. I just hope that what you know what's happening at the minute actually there is change coming happening at the minute. I mean I know we're seeing some change, but it's like you just want it you know, you don't want in another, you know, five years for another black man to be killed in America and for this to all happen again and it's like it needs, to, it needs to change now. But like you say, I think obviously for whatever reason, unfortunately, this event has spurred people on and it's made people, like, you know, as you said yourself, has made you wake up to things. Obviously, Julia and I have also had similar realisations. And so hopefully if we can try and keep the momentum going, then we can... Uh... Make some change. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything you wanted to tell us about coming up for you? Anything? There's like not that? a lot going on at the minute. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, funny that. Food Unwrapped is hopefully filming will begin again uh, next month. So that'll be out at some point in September, assuming all goes well. Um, but yeah, most other things have kind of come to a halt at the minute. So I'm still obviously on, on social media. So on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Brian, at Brian May Bakes. Please feel free to follow me. Let's replace those racists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, replace the racists, would you? <laughs> but yeah, I put I post a lot about about I post a lot of recipes and general baking bits. But yeah, I mean there'll, there'll be more stuff coming post Corona or you know whatever our society looks like post Corona. Watch the space. My friend, this this does not have to go in the podcast. But my friend wanted to me to ask you because I told her I was going to speak to you, and she said, "Oh my god, can you ask her how she feels about the fact that she's featured on This Is Us, which is like her oh, favorite yeah. program ever?" <laughs> oh my god, I nearly died. I love This Is Us, <laughs> and I watched the episode the other day, and I just nearly wet myself. I mean, I'm on it for less than a second, but it's so exciting. I had to take a picture, <laughs> and it's Randall watching, it's isn't Randall. it? Randall, who's the best character. He is Randall watching the Great British Bake Off when I was comforting Kim Joy when she had a bad a bad week, and oh my gosh, I um, yeah, I was very excited. <laughs> that must be so weird. It was so weird. It was so like oh, I'm watching someone watching TV, but they're watching me on TV, and it's like ah! very weird, but awesome. Uh, I'll pass it along. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can tell them I was suitably excited. <laughs> 
they're mad for it, aren't they, over there? Like, that yeah, they love it. seems to have really caught caught the imagination of the Americans. They, they call it the Great British Baking Show over there, though. Oh, do they? Yeah. Because apparently they wouldn't know what Bake Off was. I don't know why. Right. It's really weird. That's very strange, <laughs> but yeah. They spend the whole series going, but what is a Bake Off? Yeah. I don't understand. I'm pretty sure it's an American term as well. Yeah, I was like, going to say, surely they coined, like, Dance yeah. Off. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like I don't know. I don't know why they decided to call it that, but they do. No, I've heard that they think it's like so refreshing from American reality TV shows because people are nice to each other. Yeah, that's it. It's very quintessential, isn't it? Well, we do have some American listeners actually, so Aww. hopefully they'll be fans of uh, of the Great British Baking Show. Yeah, <laughs> and be very happy to hear from you. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Oh, it's a pleasure. You were such a brilliant guest. It was so lovely oh, to good. speak to you. That was great. Good. I'm glad. All About Eve is presented by Anna Garvey and Julia Stenton. The music was composed and performed by Holly Buhaya, who you can find on Instagram at Holly Buhaya. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at All About Eve Podcast. And please like and subscribe. Oh,